And welcome back to uh, De Facto. This is our uh, second episode of our third season. I'm Julian Lang. I'm Valentina Caracci. Uh, we're coming to you straight from Berlin to talk about the results of the Italian elections. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into our guests, we have two students and a professor today. Uh, we're going to be going over to Ricardo, who's in London, who will be giving us some background. The Italian election of March the 4th was without a doubt a day to be remembered in European politics. The result of this year's general election came as a sudden shock after the anti-establishment and center-right parties emerged as the absolute victors. The Five Star Movement, a populist party founded by the comedian Beppe Grillo in 2009, received a surprising 32% of all votes, while its right-wing counterpart, the xenophobic and anti-European Lega Nord, won almost 36% of votes in a coalition with Silvio Berlusconi's Forza Italia and the neo-fascist Brothers of Italy, although Lega Nord managed to secure only 17% of the votes on its own. The international press has ever since expressed its concerns over what now seems yet another sign of popular support for unorthodox political forces. But since Italy is a parliamentary republic, these parties will have to form a coalition in order to create a working government. The Five Star Party has vowed not to enter any coalitions, but this seems highly unlikely. It stands out that the former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi and his party, the center-left Partito Democratico, suffered a severe blow after losing 6.5 percentage points, reason for which Renzi announced his resignation as its general secretary, which now leaves the party in search for a new leader. According to the Interior Ministry, the Five Star Movement will hold 227 seats in Parliament, allowing 265 for the centre-right coalition, a movement which is currently fracturing, giving the inability of Lega to govern on its own. This will leave 122 for Renzi's centre-left party. The new Parliament will convene in Rome on March 23rd, and it remains to be seen which forces will end up forming a coalition government. And we're back with our uh, student guests for this episode. Valentina, do you want to go ahead and introduce them? Yeah, of course. We're glad to have uh, Giulio Del Balzo and uh, Davide Zilli here with us as guests um, to talk about uh, Italian political elections. Um, Giulio Del Balzo uh, is a second year student here at the Hertie School of Governance. Uh, he graduated in political science uh, at Louis, Louis University in Rome. And he's the founder of Future Dem, which is a very nice uh, association of young um, men and women that wants to uh, shape uh, the, the, the future of politics in Italy, right? Am I right, Giulio? Yeah. Um, Davide is um, a, a second year uh, student uh, from Bocconi University. He's here in exchange uh, at the Hertz School of Governance. Um, he's very politically engaged as well, and he's also a member of Future Dem, so he's also um, close to the Democratic Party. So uh, both of our guests today are cannot belong into the uh, left-wing uh, side uh, on the political spectrum, but uh, that's kind of representative <laughs> of uh, the, the vote of Italians abroad, because as we know from the results of the polls, um, most of Italians abro- abroad voted for the uh, left-wing party in a, um, in a way that is like in counter-tendency uh, <laughs> compared to the rest of Italy, uh, where the Democratic Party um, was not very uh, popular, let's put it that way. Um, so, yeah. Please. Uh, so, getting right into it, since you guys are both uh, associated with the Democratic Party, uh, what do you make of the results? Um, obviously, they did not go great for you guys. What What do you see as the main causes of that? 
Well, the main causes could be uh, many, of course. I will start with really uh, social, um, social causes in terms of uh, maybe people really dislike the policies that our previous governments have been uh, doing in the, in, the, in, the, in the last five years. So this is one of the causes, but also internal problems with the party, with the many factions inside the party and uh, a broad uh, um, vote of no confidence against Renzi and uh, his charisma. Mm-hmm. So yes, actually we have a, a global uh, uh, trend towards uh, uh, an increase of consensus uh, of uh, populist uh, parties. So we had this as well in Italy, as Steve Bannon, uh, the previous Trump consultant, asserted. He, uh, in Italy, we did the best job with populist parties because actually Eurosceptical parties in Italy amount to a total of 55% because we can sum uh, the Five Star Movement 32%, the Northern League 17%, plus uh, Brothers of Italy, that is another p- center-right party of the center-right coalition that is a 5%, plus if we had, if we had a small uh, fascist party such as Casa Pound or Forza Nuova, we get to a 55% of uh, Eurosceptic parties. Of course, uh, we cannot compare this uh, extreme-right fascist party with uh, the Five Star Movement and neither with the Northern League because actually they are quite institutionalized. And, and so and furthermore they actually uh, they actually play with their political promises in the sense that they know that they are not gonna uh, accomplish them throughout the next five years indeed uh, among the first declaration of their leaders there were like uh, um, they took the distances from uh, some electoral promises already yeah this is once uh, one thing that Uh, I want uh, people to understand that when uh, in Italy you have electoral promises then you don't have to expect the exactly that these are exactly uh, the policies that are going to be implemented so <laughs> I, I don't think that's just an Italian issue yeah. <laughs> coming from the US but <laughs> yeah. but I mean I I wouldn't I wouldn't be so concerned about uh, the role of Italy in Europe Of course, it would be less uh, uh, less relevant in the next months, in the next year, waiting for the, next, of the, mm-hmm. the formation of the government. But I don't see any room for a referendum on, on Europe or in Europe, even because it's uh, unconstitutional for an Italian uh, mm-hmm. regime. And uh, I also think that all the promises will, uh, will be revised and, uh, yeah, All the parties in Italy that uh, get close to government become more moderate and uh, uh, less populist. So yeah, I won't be so afraid. And uh, when it when it comes to the to Democratic Party, we are in a really delicate phase because now there is a change in the in the management in the dire- direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the secretary is changing. So let's see what what happens. And uh, uh, I. I could be uh, surprised to see, um, no, I would not su- be surprised to see that in the next uh, election, for example, in the next European election, the Democratic Party would gain the, the previous votes or at least mm. be back to the 25%.
Well, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I think that uh, the dirigent class, the leaders of the party, because of course Renzi resigned, but now the party is in the hands of the leaders that were there before Renzi, Renzi's secretariat. Mm. So it is like they didn't really understand what happened. So they, it is like they think, yes, the party can get uh, like uh, a more uh, stable consensus just by leading things how they led them before Renzi came. I think that if they keep this approach, uh, they're gonna crash the party even more. And I see that the party can survive only by changing its skin, its skin from the from the inside. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, and I think one of the the biggest problems of these elections um, was that um, the Democratic Party kind of failed to to speak to the people somehow. So yes. um, there is like a, a mismatch between what people are asking and what the Democratic Party is, is providing and the, even the language the Democratic Party is using because it seems too, too, too much realistic somehow and um, uh, too inc uh, incapable to kind of... Um, make people hope and believe in a, in a better world. Um, so like my question for you guys is what's now? How can the Democratic Party or the, the left in general uh, be able again to, to speak to the people? And I mean, uh, traditionally, historically, uh, left-wing parties talked to the like uh, the, 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 the lower class of the, of the population, right? While uh, we saw that uh, actually who voted for the Democratic Party was the upper, upper middle class. Yeah. Uh, so um, how can we change our uh, narrative and talk, like I say we because we, we, all, we all belong to the same uh, area. Um, yeah, yeah. A, a thing, an interesting thing is to understand the, the, the sensibility of the voters who turned from the Democratic Party to the Five Star Movement, especially in Southern Italy, there was a huge uh, drag of votes from the Democratic Party to the Five Star Movement. The Five Star Movement has like 40%, 45 and now the Democratic Party in Southern Italy is only 10, 12, 15%, so very low uh, amount of votes. So if the Democratic Party understands the mistakes it did regarding consensus and regarding answers to give to these voters, I think that it can find a way. But at the same time, it should not be like, it should not disgust the Five Star Movement. So it should be open to these demands of transparency, of like uh, politics as a service for citizens. So they couldn't really dialogue with this world. And that's the main problem I see. Yeah, I agree with Giulio. And uh, I think that uh, the Democratic Party has first to solve the, these internal problems because, as I said before, there are many uh, rivalrous factions inside that. Uh, on the other side, on on external dimension of the left-wing uh, voters, I think there is a lot of uh, disillusion uh, in terms of economic poli policies that have been doing during these years. So I think that um, the solution is to to build uh, trust with the traditional voters to to make them participate more. So more activism, political activism, while uh, yeah, uh, 
trying to match the elitarian uh, approach that the Democratic Party has had in, during the last years with the, the original one that uh, mm -hmm. comes from the Socialist and the Communist Party. But of course it's, uh, one, it's uh, the challenge that all the left-wing parties in, in Europe are, are facing. So it's not just about the Italian parties. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, for now uh, it's good to have an opposition for the Democratic Party now to build again consensus and trust mm -hmm. and to reshape uh, the policy that they are going to, to, to do in the next uh, election and in the next, mm -hmm. in the next uh, political cycles. So then as, as a final note with you guys, just you said you'd like to see them in the opposition. You guys... I assume then oppose the idea of them forming a coalition with either Liga or uh, or uh, M5, M5S. Mm -hmm. you, you want to start? Yeah, for me, uh, yeah, there could be no uh, no coalition with them, with the populist party, even because they are still uh, uh, laughing at us. So they are still. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> many difficulties also to to find grounds common grounds to build uh, some something together so i i don't see the, the political space to do that and also it would be really uh, uncomfortable to mm -hmm. to go back to the voters and and uh, and, uh, and and say hey guys we we just did a coalition with the with the populists what do you think i mean it would be really mm -hmm disappointing for them and for me too I think uh, would be really upset and uh, yeah uh, five years ago when uh, the Democratic Party got more votes than the Five Star Movement its previous leader Pierluigi Bersani tried to open a discussion uh, to form a government on uh, let's say progressive uh, issues but but they refused it well I don't think we the 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 losers of today should behave uh, as the losers of yesterday, but rather we should change uh, this behavior by showing that uh, even when you lose, you should show up responsibility. So, of course, uh, nobody has the majority. At the same time, nobody should uh, bear a responsibility. And so I think that even the losers of the Democratic Party should be open to uh, scope governments for... Uh, for improving the country on specific uh, issues. So if there is a, a wider agreement among the forces, I think they should be responsible for this because I don't see the country can afford the further elections because we risk to, uh, to, to just have the same results and so have a country with no government. So better a weak government that works on shared issues such as the fight on corruption, such as environment, such as tourism, economic growth, so wider points, Europe, I think that this might be the way. Maybe all the parties that have the responsibility participate. So I don't think we should be too childish. They mm. should be too childish. So it's either responsibility and political suicide or no responsibility and... and... political suicide. Ah, in any case, <laughs> okay, on this very positive remark, <laughs> um, we can, uh, yeah, uh, thank you guys for, uh, for being with us today. Um, We'll be right back with uh, Dr. Matteo Caravoglia mm -hmm. um, and he'll be giving us a bit more of an uh, in-depth academic perspective on broader trends. So again, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you.
And we're back with our second interview of the episode. Um, we're here with Dr. Matteo Garavoglia. Um, but first, Valentina is going to give us a little bit of an introduction to him. Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, welcome, Matteo. Thank you for um, coming here and uh, um, sharing your opinion on the Italian elections with us. Um, so a few words uh, about our guest. Um, uh, Matteo Garavoglia is a guest lecturer here at the Hertie School of Governance. He was educated at the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London, Sciences Po, and the Freie University of Berlin. He is currently a research associate at the Center for International Studies at the Department of International Relations at the University of Oxford. And his, his research focuses on European Union humanitarian assistance, development aid and election observation policy. So also uh, an expert on elections, that's good to hear because we're going to talk about that <laughs> as well. Um, so Julian, um, do you have a question for our guest? Uh, yeah, so um, in your mind, very broad strokes to start out with, um, what does this mean for Italy's place in Europe with uh, this, this sudden rise in, in the populist extremes uh, within Italy? In my view, it means that Italy will stay where it has been for a long time, uh, at the back of the queue, a country punching well below its weight. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you consider this part of the broader European trend of, of populist movements gaining power, or is, it, is this more of an Italy-specific no, no, I think, I think this is a part of a, of a broader trend. I wouldn't equate it with Brexit, but I would equate it with, with a broader trend that we see all over Europe. And, and I think we should step back from, from the elections themselves and look at, mm. at, at, at I think, at an, an historical process that we're observing here. What we see is, on the one hand, uh, uh, the collapse of the, of the, of the cleavage and the, the, the axis along which political conflict was fought over the last few decades across Europe. That was fundamentally an x-axis. Mm -hmm. You had on the left end of this x-axis what were center-left socialist, social democratic parties. And on the right end of the x-axis, uh, uh, you know, more conservative parties, Catholic parties at times, uh, and parties representing the interests of, of the petty bourgeoisie. And uh, this was fundamentally an economic axis. It was a conflict based on, on, on that dichotomy between you know, worker and, and employer, between owner of capital and, and the proletariat, so to speak. This was an economic axis, and this economic axis uh, is being replaced in historical terms by a new axis, a y-axis. Uh, a y-axis that instead of being focused on economic matters is uh, pivots and, and, and works along uh, issues of identity, cultural issues and issues of identity. On the, on the top of, of this y-axis, of this cultural y-axis, we have uh, those sociodemographic groups that uh, look at issues such as globalization or markets or uh, global mobility as a plus. Um, so let's call them open, cosmopolitan, progressive, whatever you want. And at the bottom of the y-axis, we have those sociodemographic groups that um, retreat into nationalism uh, in a more closed mindset or at times in <clears throat> outright xenophobia. And what I think we observe is a set of affairs whereby um, traditional center-left and center-right, more uh, parties across Europe struggle to reposition themselves from the x-axis onto the y-axis. 
Within all this, what I think we also observe is a situation whereby Populist forces, populist political parties have been uh, able and been good and very skillful at uh, providing a structure, political offer for the bottom of the Y axis. For those people that seek reassurance into identity questions and, and retreating within the nation state in that respect. Um, we have seen much less or less successful attempts at providing a structured political offer for people that seek political representation at the open end of the y-axis. This is a, tr a trend that we see all over Europe. Uh, think of Marine Le Pen in France. Uh, she moved effectively from the right end of the x-axis, where the Front National used to be, to the bottom of the y-axis. We see this with Alternative for Deutschland here in Germany that started off as a, as a party talking about economics and it's a party talking about, about identity, exactly what the Front National is doing. They talk mm -hmm. about identity again. Uh, we see that with Brexit that was again about identity, no economic rationale in that respect. Um, and now we see that also in Italy in this coming together, so to speak, on the bottom of the way axis, on the populist axis in that respect of the League on the one hand and the Five Star Movement on the other. Um, speaking of um, culture and of dichotomies, um, I have a question for you regarding this um, idea that Italy is somehow split uh, in, in two parts. Uh, so from the elections we saw that we have a southern Italy that uh, voted uh, as a whole for the Five Star Movement and we have a northern Italy that voted for the right-wing uh, right coalition. Um, uh, so they, they're like the whole Italy is characterized by a, um, a populist um, um, populist uh, wave somehow, but there is a, di a difference in between. So how, how do we interpret this, this difference um, historically or uh, how do we make sense of it? This dichotomy um, simply mirrors what has been a, a social, economic and cultural dichotomy in Italy for the last <laughs> 200 years at the very least. So in that respect, I, I'm, I'm not surprised. What we see is that the, the, the League that skillfully rebranded itself from Northern League onto League um, managed to, to, to conquer, politically speaking, all the north of Italy, they um, have been particularly successful whenever uh, we were looking at, um, they've been particularly successful, for instance, outside major urban centers, so in rural areas or in smaller urban centers, and they got uh, their votes primarily from that um, small uh, to medium enterprise and smaller small to medium um, uh, businesses that are frustrated with uh, a combination of these, what they see as, as red tape originating in Rome, uh, immigration that they see as not being handled properly, and uh, an incapacity of the state to support their, uh, their entrepreneurship, so to speak. This within a context where we have certain parts of Northern Italy with um, quite impressive uh, rates of economic growth. Uh, if in the past the center of economic gravity in the north of Italy used to be a triangle between the cities of Milan, Genoa and Turin, now this triangle of economic uh, strength, so to speak, is somewhere between Milan and further east, uh, the cities of <clears throat> Verona, for instance, or Bologna, and anything in, in, within that space. Um, the, the league in that respect uh, has 
has been pandering to to these instances and you know playing on on, on the usual easy targets on, on xenophobic sentiment and and they you know they they've been very successful in doing that different uh, the situation when we look at uh, southern italy uh, where the five star movement did extremely well uh, there uh, the economic situation is is basically the opposite we, we have uh, parts of italy that display uh, uh, both indicators economic indicators that are not far from, from the best performing parts of north africa um, chronic unemployment, state failure in many respects, and the faster movement went very heavily with with a simple proposal. This so-called uh, I don't know how to translate it in English universal universal citizenship um, uh, salary income, income uh, whatever universal you, basic income uh, universal basic income, and a um, uh, wonderful idea. We wouldn't like that. Um, nobody told us how they're gonna afford for for that. But that proved extremely popular and across southern Italy, so much so that a few days after the elections you had reports of people queuing up outside city councils asking for the form set to fill in in order to get this. Uh, surre- <laughs> yes, said we voted them, so just to sur- give us Surreal the situation in that respect, but of course playing on, on, on the dramatic and desperate, not only economic, but social situation that the South finds itself in. So not that surprising in that respect. Um, you mentioned before that uh, progressive movements, things at the top of the y-axis you mentioned, generally have a harder time uh, generating the same popularity that things on uh, that parties on the lower end of the y-axis do. What makes the five-star movement different? Because we haven't really seen that in the rest of Western Europe, for example, that uh, far-left party has done that well in a lot of other countries. Uh, sorry, are you characterizing Five Star Movement as a far left party? Well, left populism, uh, I, I would say, not not left on the... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I guess I would question that statement in itself. I, I wouldn't consider Five Star Movement a, a, a left-wing party as such. Uh, and indeed, if you, if you look at all the, 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 the public discourse that the Five Star movement has been putting out there mm-hmm. consistently over over the months and indeed over the years. They made a point of characterizing themselves not as a as a left wing or center left party, nor as a center right or conservative party. For the matter, they made a point of characterizing themselves not as a political party in the first mm-hmm. place. And I think that is the great strength of the Five Star movement. They've been extremely skillful at not at, at just being anti-establishment, mm-hmm. no matter what, if that establishment is a conservative one or, 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 or a center-left mm-hmm. one. Um, in many respects, the faster movement is like water. You cannot give it a shape, and that's what, that, that is key to their strength. Do you think that will stay, do you think that will remain a characteristic of them if they move into government now? Well, that's the problem. Once you're in government, you actually <laughs> need to, to, to take a stand and take decisions. And that's where I think <laughs> that's where I think it'll be interesting to see the, the real nature of, of the staff five star movement and, and they'll struggle with that because they'll have inevitably to start to take decisions and make some people unhappy. So maybe a very, very broad question, uh, but um, so how should Europe react to these elections and um, um, what, what do these elections mean to Europe? Because mm. like it's all over the news that, you know, these elections represent uh, um, like a, 
is the word <laughs> that, that, that they represent um, uh, you're a skeptic so, yeah or like something that uh, hinders Europe somehow uh, but can, can we elaborate a bit on that I, I would say keep calm and carry on in the sense that um, there's a number of things that we have to be aware of first of all it's absolutely unclear at this stage who's going to get into government and whoever is going to form a government which kind of chemistries we're going to have in government which political parties and with which relative strengths so too early to tell in that respect Secondly, uh, the only thing that we do know is that for a government to be formed in Italy, either the League or the Five Star Movement, or both, will have to be part of the government. Otherwise, nobody will have the numbers, the, the, the seats in Parliament to form a government. But what's interesting is that if you look at the, at the discourse, the political discourse and the narrative that has emerged from these two political parties over the last few months, you saw a trend whereby both attempted to portray themselves as less, not more, less, anti-European and, anti and Eurosceptic than in the past. Go back a couple of years ago, both the Five Star Movement and the League were virulent in their attacks against the European Union and European institutions and Europe, whatever that means. Um, over the last few weeks and months in, in, in the run-up to the elections, both became much more moderate in their criticism and uh, towards Europe and softened their position. That is because I think they've understood that uh, in Italy you can criticize Europe, but up to a point. Uh, I, I think the moment they were to tell Italians, well, we pull out of the Eurozone, pull out of the European Union, they would crash in the polls from one day to the other, mm -hmm. uh, because Italians do understand that there would be economic suicide. Um, so I, I think uh, it's too early to panic. There's a third reason why I wouldn't be so stressed out. Uh, first of all, I'd be amazed if, if whatever government comes out of these elections were to last you know, a number of years. I would give it a few months, if not one or two years at most. Uh, so, you know, maybe we can, it's just a challenge. And um, also, uh, there's a, uh, something positive in that respect. Italy is a country, as I said earlier today, that punches well below its weight in so many respects, diplomatically, uh, politically, economically, and within the framework of, of uh, the European institutions and European policy making. So in that respect, rather than finding an Italy that, you know, that causes trouble to its European partners, what we're likely to see is an Italy very busy with itself, uh, kind of uh, not uh, being a proactive actor in, within the European context. And last but not least, <clears throat> let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let, let's see what comes mm -hmm. out and let's see what policies they end up pushing in the coming months, if mm -hmm. any. Yeah, at least they're not Berlusconi and we don't know what to expect. <laughs> yes, I mean, I don't, you know, with Berlusconi we know what to expect, yeah. uh, one way or the other, uh, with this, yeah, different here. Um, is there anything you think people outside of Italy who might not be aware should in particular pay attention to in the coming months um, that might not be, I don't know, obvious from the news of, oh, coalitions are being negotiated and things like that? Uh, two things I would keep an eye on. One, I'd be interested in looking at the process of internal restructuring that the Democratic Party inevitably will have to go through. Uh, Matteo Renzi's leadership is over, uh, there is a lot of there's chaos within the Democratic Party, and that's a good thing. That party has to reinvent itself, and I'd be curious to see what will emerge. One person that I would keep an eye on, certainly, is uh, Carlo Calenda. The, outgoing Minister for Economic Development, 
who's been extremely skillful at playing his cards so far, staying out of politics, coming in when and if necessary, building up consensus with the political establishment behind the scenes. Um, he's a person to watch and I think it'll be very interesting to see how and to what extent he's going to reshape the Democratic Party. The second thing that I would look at, uh, that I would keep an eye on, is something that I think we should all keep an eye on, not just in Italy, but in a number of European countries, but in Italy in this case in particular, is to see whether and if somebody in the coming months and years, and I'm talking about anything between the next six months to six years, <laughs> is, uh, which, which is not that long if you think about it, that's uh, just over one legislative period in Italy, um, if anybody will be willing and able to provide a structured political offer to those uh, social demographic groups seeking representation at the open end of the y-axis mm-hmm. that at the moment does not exist there's nobody in Italy that has been successful at doing that or even tried other than possibly this very very small party that went nowhere unfortunately this more Europe led by Emma Bonino they go like less than three percent of the vote um, that is is a is a is an open space that has not been filled and you have many, many, many people that would seek representation there and have no uh, political representation in that respect. We have a similar problem, similar challenge in that respect uh, in Spain that is missing. Here in Germany, that is missing as well within the broader context of the collapse in historical terms of the uh, social democrats and the conservatives here in Germany like elsewhere. The only place where this has happened to a certain extent is France with Emmanuel Macron who clearly decided to go and get hold of that open end of the y-axis. I'd be curious to see if there's somebody willing and able to mm. pull that off also in Italy. And I think in historical terms, we're getting there. It's a positive note. Yeah, <laughs> it's always very you got to be positive. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much, Matteo, for being our guest today. Um, thank you. Yeah, as uh, Italians from abroad, we're going to look at the developments of uh, our country from outside. And uh, let's see what's going to happen in terms of uh, government and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and thank you, Valentina, for being here. Thank you, Julian. Uh, and thanks to Ricardo in London. Um, remember, you can find De Facto Political Affairs podcast on SoundCloud, on Facebook, and if you want to get in touch with us for either taking over the podcast once we all graduate, or you would like to come on, or you would like to suggest a topic, uh, just email at us at defacto.herty at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Julian Lang. I'm Valentina Caracci. And uh, have a nice day.